Well, it's my privilege to be here. Um, before we get started, uh, there's something that I would like to do today also. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that we find important with our staff is, is that, uh, that we celebrate each other. So we have a couple staff that uh, actually have a birthday. Uh, so, yeah, so we want to say happy birthday to number one, Mr. Alex. There's a card. And a, and a couple of dollars to take Anna to lunch. Like McDonald's or something. It's not, it's not that much money. Sorry, Anna. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And also for another part of our leadership, uh, Pastor Will Kitchen, who I also appreciate very much. And uh, he's kind of like my partner here, you know, so I'm so grateful for him uh, and his leadership. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's also not just a, a man of God, but also a very dear friend to uh, me and my family. So we're so grateful for them. And the reason why I did that right before I preached, because Pastor Charles forgot, just to let you know. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Charles. <laughs> if we could, we can open up in our Bibles to um, John, I mean, Matthew chapter 11, if you could. Let me just, we're going, our main text today is going to be uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. I'll be elsewhere, but that is basically where we're going to start and going to be the basis of my message tonight. Are we all there? Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, it says this, and this is in red letters, so we know that it's Jesus. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from where to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the the dead hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The title of my message tonight is Unoffended. Unoffended. We look at this portion of scripture and uh, it's telling a story uh, about a man by the name of John, who is known in Scripture as John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a very special man. He was a man that had a special call and a special uh, responsibility given to him from the Lord. John was so special that in the same chapter, uh, 
in the same chapter, in verse 11, Jesus says this about John. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of woman, there is no one risen greater than John the Baptist. But the least of these is greater than the kingdom of heaven. John the Baptist was so important that Jesus actually referred to him as being great. I mean, I've heard many people talk about themselves being great. A couple people have other people talk about someone being great. But it's another thing to have Jesus tell tell everyone that you're great. You got to be pretty good to have Jesus, God, the creator of the universe, say you're, you're great. And this was the testimony of John the Baptist. We know that John was prophesied and his ministry would be prophesied about all the way in Isaiah chapter 3, verse uh, through three, verse 3 and 5. It says this, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. See, Isaiah was written probably 800 years or took place 800 years before Jesus lived. And yet 800 years before John lived, Isaiah was prophesying of the ministry of John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist was an important person. He was a special man. He was called by God, and he had a special assignment from God. Jesus confirms this as he recites in verse 10 of Malachi in the third chapter. He says, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare a way for you. Malachi was probably written, they say, around 400 years around before uh, the life of John and before the life of Jesus. So, so now Malachi is prophesying about John the Baptist 400 years before he was to have his ministry. So what am I trying to say? John the Baptist was a special man. He was an important man. And we know that if we look at the life of John the Baptist, that he fulfilled what God had called him to do, that the purpose that God had for his life, he was faithful to complete it. Can I get an amen? So we see that John was special. He was used by God. He was by Jesus, and he was completely obedient. John fully embraced his calling. He was content with being himself, and we know this because he was in the desert dressed in camel hair and eating locust. Nobody dresses in camel hair and eat locust that I know. So he was, he was okay with being himself and being who God created him to be, and he obeyed. So what was his reward? What was John's reward for being obedient, for being this person and this man that was called by God, who had a special call, a call that was going to be spoke of 800 years prior to him being born? A special call, so special that, that when, 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 when his mother Elizabeth and Mary, they encountered each other, uh, the, the womb jumped in Elizabeth's belly. There was a connection between Jesus and John. They were, they were, they were uh, by, by blood, they were cousins, but there was a spiritual bond. John was the one who was called to and, 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 and was, was, was commanded to by the Holy Spirit to make way for Jesus' coming. He was a special man, and he obeyed. And when, when, when Jesus' ministry was about to begin and, and John had baptized him because as we, as we uh, the scripture testifies, John, being John the Baptist, what was his job? 
He was baptizing people unto repentance. And when Jesus had come his way, he even baptized Jesus. What an important and special responsibility that not only he was making the way for the Lord, not only was he baptizing people and he was pointing people to the Messiah, but he also baptized the Messiah and baptized Jesus. But when it came time for Jesus' ministry to rise up, what did John say? He said, I must decrease so he may increase. So John was not only was not only special and not only important, not only obedient, but he was humble. And he knew the purpose that God had for his life, and he was able to, to humble himself into that place. What an important man, a special man. Do you know that each one of you are just as important and just as special? You know, God has special things for each one of you and special responsibilities and opportunities. And they may never be read, uh, written about in a book, or, and, and, and obviously they're not written about in Scripture but that doesn't mean they're any less importance. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have people in your life that you're to encounter, that you're to minister to, that you're to be a shining light to that nobody else could minister to. And it doesn't mean uh, th- that God is, is, isn't as excited or isn't as pleased with your obedience any more than I'm sure that he was pleased with, with John's obedience. Which you would think that because of John's obedience that there would be some special level of reward, that there would be some, something really great that God would have for John, like maybe John would, maybe he would get this high position in, in Jesus' ministry, like he'd be his right-hand guy, and, 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 and like, or maybe he would get some financial blessing, like, like he'd be, get this kingdom, or he'd get this castle, or he'd get the, the, this power or control over a certain region or area. Maybe he would get something like that. I mean, in, in this life, in this world, when we're obedient and we do things God's way, we generally expect something good to happen. And for the most part, good things do happen when you're obedient. For the most part, when you obey God and for the most part, when, when you please God, generally there's a good result. I mean, I know that when I was doing a, again, things against the will of God, I know that when I was living a life of disobedience, when I was doing things that were contrary to his word, there was for the most part, a very negative result to my behavior. And I know when I surrendered my life to Christ, I surrendered my life to Jesus, I started living by the word and his principles, and I started honoring the principles, and I started making decisions and choices according to his principles, good things started to happen. So for the most part, when you are obedient and you live a life that's pleasing to God, usually there's a good result. But in John's life, it didn't really look like this. What happened to John? What happened to him before he got beheaded? He was thrown in prison. If we look at the 14th chapter, it says, uh, of Matthew, the same book, it says, At this time, Herod the Tetrarch heard this report about Jesus and said to his servant, This John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work with him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So John gets thrown in prison. He's doing all this great work for the Lord. He's being humble, and he's, 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 he's surrendering and submitting himself, and he's letting Jesus' ministry build and him go on, and, and he's just doing, doing everything you think 
a servant of the Lord would do that would be pleasing to God. And because he was pleasing to God, you would hope and you would think that maybe there was some, some good results to it, but it wasn't the case. He ended up in jail. Because sometimes regardless of what the circumstances and what's going to happen, you got to do the right thing. Sometimes, sometimes we have to do the right thing even though we don't get the result that we want. Because it's about doing the right thing. It's not about getting what we want. Because sometimes what we want might temporarily be good. But how many people know that when God does something in your life, it's not just for the temporary good. It's for eternal good. That God is more concerned about your your soul and and where you're going to rest in eternity than he is for a minute of comfort and, and, and convenience. We get so caught up in a moment's time of comfort and convenience and being getting all these rewards for one or two good decisions we make. I mean, I've seen people come through the program after years and years of destruction, stealing and committing crimes and hurting family and lying and abusing every relationship that God has given them in their life. And they come in and they're like, man, this Jesus stuff don't work, man. I've been trying to do the right thing for 16 days now and I'm st- my, my, my wife still won't talk to me. It's like, bro, bro, you... You just did this woman wrong for 16 years. Could you at least give her a little, some time to breathe? You know, I don't know, man. I, I went to court. I went to court, and they didn't drop my charges, and they said I might even have to do some probation. You robbed a bank, brother. I mean, sometimes there's some negative things happen in your life, but we expect that as soon as we come to God and as soon as we start doing the right thing and make good choices, that everything is going to turn all away. And life is like planting seed. And the more good seed you plant, later in the future, you will get a good harvest. But for some of you, you're still reaping a harvest of some bad seed that you may have sold. And sometimes, no matter how much God blesses a circumstance or blesses a situation in your life, and no how, how long uh, you've been doing good for, sometimes there's still repercussions to our choices, our behavior that are negative regardless. And God, God gets most pleasure and he's most glorified that even when you stay in those circumstances, even when you, you have to be on probation for robbing a bank, or, or even when, when, when your wife won't let you back in home, or mama, mama won't come pick you up from the program and bring you home. It's in those circumstances when you can lift your hands up and say, God, no matter what it looks like, no matter what happens to me, I'm yours. Because guess what? If you can't tell him he's yours in those situations, you ain't really his. It's so easy to say, praise the Lord, everything is wonderful, and walk with a smile. But what happens when you walk through some fire? What happens when you walk through some trials? That's where the rubber meets the mode. That's where your true fruit, your true colors are shown. Is this thing real in you or not? And God will allow these things to happen in your life. He will allow you to go through troubles. He will allow you to go through hardships. Not because he doesn't know what's going on in your heart. Sometimes you need to know what's real inside of you. I'm going to. I'm just getting started. But for John's life, we know that he was put in jail. And then, and then we know, uh, as Scripture will testify later in that chapter, 
He's having a birthday party. His wife's daughter is dancing for the guests. Herod is so pleased with her dancing in front of the guests, which to me sounds kind of weird anyway, because I don't know if that's his daughter or what's going on in that whole portion of scripture. But nevertheless, he's pleased. And he tells his daughter, his, his wife's daughter, whether I'm not really sure if that was his blood daughter or not, but tells her, listen, I will give you anything you ask for. And her mother leans in her ear and she says, tell him you want the head of John the Baptist. And Herod, we know as scripture testifies, didn't want to do that because he was afraid of who John was. Yet because he didn't want to be embarrassed, he didn't want to look shameful, he didn't want to look like he wasn't a man of his word, he had to do it. And John got his head cut off. Remember, John was a special man. He was prophesied. He was obedient. He was faithful. And yet this was his reward. It's kind of sobering to me. I think I would be irritated if I, if I was John sitting in that jail cell. You know, it's funny. John sent, hears about everything happening, about all the blind people seeing, the lame walking, about dead people being raised up. And he sends his disciples to Jesus. Is this the one? Is he the Messiah? And, you know, you think Jesus would send a message back like, don't worry, John, we're going to get you out, or don't worry. I got you, or don't worry, just keep on praying. An angel of the Lord's going to come and open up the jail cell. I mean, that's what I would think. But instead he comes to him, and he says that he is the Messiah. And he tells him, blessed for those that are not offended. John could have been very offended. I think I would have been offended. I would have been like, man, I've done everything for you. I was obedient. I mean, I made myself decrease so you can increase. And I'm your cousin. And, and I'm going to sit in a cell. And all you got to say is, yes, you are. And don't be offended. I'd be hot. I would definitely be offended, wouldn't you? You know, I was sitting in a service when I first came into the program in 2008, and I remember I was doing worship, and I was praising the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, I'm going to give you my life, man. I forgive every person that's ever done anything against me. Please forgive me for everything I've done. I'm going to surrender it all. And I promise you that over this, this feeling came over me the presence of God dropped on me, and it was like it was like the Spirit of God was speaking to me, and it was so real. And, you know, I've had a couple times in my life where I've never heard the audible voice of God, but there were a couple times where God spoke to my spirit so clearly it might, have well, it might as well have been. And then the Lord whispered to me as I was giving my life to him, he says, why are you offended at me? I said, Lord, offended at you. I'm not offended at you. And the Lord flashed before my mind all the ways that everything worked out in my life. And the Lord revealed to my heart that I was holding bitterness against God. And that I was frustrated with his plan up until that point for my life. And I was literally offended. 
And, you know, I believe many people go through those kinds of seasons. I believe many people get to a place where they literally are offended at God's plan for their life or the way God worked things out or maybe the way God didn't work things out. You know, some of you may say, man, I was a good husband, but she left anyway. I prayed for healing, but yet they died anyway. You trust God for your legal case, and you were found guilty anyway. You tried your best, but you lost the job anyway. And you feel like there are times in your life where you're like, man, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm doing everything I can to do the right thing, and yet I'm not getting the results I want. Why was I born on those side of the tracks? Why was I born to that family? Why was my mother uh, a drug addict? Why did dad leave mom? Why did all these things happen? Why was I born with a learning disability? Why was I born with a physical handicap? Why are my children not serving the Lord? And I've done everything right. And we get offended at God. And we hold bitterness and offense against him, and we don't even know it. We question his will and his purpose for our life. We, 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 we try to attach our wisdom to, to circumstances and situations, and we try to apply our wisdom to our life, and we come up with this movie reel in our head about the way it should have happened. Why did it happen that way? And we're frustrated, but we're really frustrated with God. Because we're looking at him and we're saying, man, if, if I was the mastermind of my life, I would have made this work out different. And if you were completely honest with yourself, many of you sitting here have been at that place in your life. And even for some of you, you may be at that place right now at this moment where you have questions about why things have worked out the way they are. Why aren't they working out the way I want? Why am I doing the right thing and getting the wrong results? And it's frustrating. And it makes you angry. And I've been there. A couple manifestations. How do you know when someone is angry at God? Or how will you know? Number one, you become jealous and envious of other people. It's easy to compare how God deals with you and how he deals with others. It's a trap. It's a trap. See, comparison is the fertilizer to envy. Anytime you find yourself comparing your life to somebody else's, most of the time, you're comparing your lowlights to their highlights anyway. You know, you're looking at their Facebook life and you're comparing your, your low point, your, your, your troubled moment, your, your situation where life seems to be in turmoil, and you're comparing it to their Facebook life or their, their highlight reel of their life. And you become frustrated. And you begin to look at it and say, why is my life not like them? Or why do I have to go through this and they don't? Oh, they're much worse than me. become jealous and envious. You get filled with bitterness, which is anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly, which leads to resentment. You're bitter. God, why is it happening this way? I did the right thing. I loved that person as much as I could, and they still left. 
I gave my children everything I possibly could. I worked like a dog to provide for them, and they're still ungrateful. Why is it this way? It makes you want to give up sometimes. Makes you want to forget about it and say, why try? We've all been there before. I've seen it a hundred times. I don't even know why I even try. We become bitter. And we become bitter with God. Because anytime we find ourselves complaining about our present circumstances, what we're really saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. When you become bitter towards God, you will resent his word, his voice, his ways, and his people. Bitterness doesn't only affect you, it eventually affects all the relationships around you. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, Make sure every effort to live, live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble that that defiles many. See that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. When you become bitter, it affects every relationship in your life. And it gives you more reason to be bitter Another manifestation, and the final manifestation, when you're angry with God, is rebellion. Rebellion is an act of violence or open resistance to an established government or ruler. It's an act of violence or open resistance. 1 Samuel says that rebellion is as witchcraft. Rebellion is as witchcraft. It says this in the 22nd chapter, or the 22nd verse of the 15th chapter. Has the, Lord as, the, has the Lord as great delight in birth offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. Rebellion is a secondary act caused by an opposing feeling or thought. Whenever you're rebellion, whenever you're fighting against whatever governing authority is against you, it's because you have thoughts or feelings against that authority. Rebellion doesn't happen on its own. That's called a mistake. That happens once. When it keeps on happening, it's no longer a mistake. It's rebellion. And it's because there's inner feelings or turmoil in your mind or your heart against a ruler or authority. So when you're angry with God, when you're upset and you're, you have bitterness in your heart, one of the things that is going to spring out of that, the fruit of that anger, is going to be rebellion. There are many people in the sound, under the sound of my voice today that some of you got addicted to drugs and alcohol in that life because you thought it was a party. But for some of you, it was just an act of rebellion. It it was fighting against the fact that, listen, I'm going to hurt myself and everyone around me because I'm not happy with the present circumstances. And for some of you, I don't blame you because some of you have had many things happen to you. You came up through tough circumstances. Some of you have been abused. 
And the rebellion might not even be your total fault up until this point, up until today. Frederick Douglass said, the only thing worse than rebellion is the thing that caused the rebellion. There is always something underneath when you're acting out in rebellion. There is something in your heart that is causing you to resent, to be bitter, and to fight back against the authority that's over you. The ultimate authority is God. Anger sets in and the rebellion is soon after. Rebellion is soon to follow anger. And when you feel that God, who is being the ultimate authority, has hurt you and you've been let down, rebellion usually follows. Rebellion against God is always a manifestation of an unhealthy heart. Here's a, a couple things that unhealthy hearts don't do or a healthy heart doesn't do. A healthy heart does not dwell on the past. A healthy heart doesn't waste time feeling sorry for itself. A healthy heart doesn't worry about what they cannot control. They don't feel like the world owes them everything. They don't try to please everyone. They don't blame others for things that are inside of them. They don't harbor unforgiveness. They don't allow impatience to derail their future. They don't speak without listening first. They don't let their priorities get out of balance. They do not ignore the counsel of the wise. And they do not live for the approval of others. And they don't make big decisions when they are tired, hungry, oh, I mean hurried. I'm hungry right now. (laughs) Or angry. Healthy hearts live different than unhealthy hearts. And if you have bitterness and anger and jealousy and you're rebelling, it's a manifestation of an unhealthy heart. So where do we go from here? How do we change? What do we do? Where do we start? Because like I said a few minutes ago, for some of us, you've been through a lot of hardships, many hard days. Some of you in this room have been abused physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually. Some of you have been put in situations and circumstances and introduced to things at a very young age that it's almost unfair. But for whatever reason, because of the grace of God, God has led you to this moment right now. I don't know what happened yesterday. I don't know what brings everybody into this room today. Some of you are here because you're in the program and you have life-controlling issues, drugs and alcohol. We have many visitors, and I'm sure for many of you, you've had your issues too. You've come with hurts from the past. You've come maybe angry, bitter, jealous. Like I said, I think we all go through those seasons in our life. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in that place? Resenting what God has done in our life and allowed in our life. My first point, and I'm going to move very quickly, is we swallow the pill of God's will. 
Swallow the pill of God's will. Are you ready to accept the things that have happened and are in the past? You have to come to a place in your life where you just understand that regardless of what you've done in your life, good and bad, you've had some great things happen to you when you didn't deserve good things. You've had some terrible things happen when you didn't deserve them either. But here you are. You find yourself at a place, at a bridge, at a crossroad. And you have to accept and swallow the pill of God's will. People say, well, how do we know what God's will is? Well, we're here right now, so it's God's will. Because if it wasn't God's will, we wouldn't be here right now. So welcome to God's will. <laughs> we're here. And for whatever reason, no matter what happened yesterday, God has brought you to a place where at least the start of healing can begin. Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know the scripture, and I kind of get a chuckle when people quote it as their life scriptures and their, because, you know, you, it says, for you know the thoughts, for you know the thoughts that I have toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you hope in a future, and it sounds wonderful. But if you really read the whole scripture in the context is that the people are going to be in exile for 70 years. He's basically saying, listen, after 70 years, I got your back. But how many... But how many people know that 70 years is a long time? And if somebody came to me and said, man, I know you're having a hard time now, brother, but don't worry. We just got 70 years left. I was like, great. I'll tell my grandchildren. I mean, what is that going to do for me? <laughs> 70 years is a long time. So next time you use that scripture as your life scripture, just me, man, you might have a long time of suffering. But what does God tell the people? He tells them to marry, to marry their children, to have children, to work and to be blessed where they're at. So what is God saying to us? Listen, you may, you may not be in the best circumstance. And for some of you in this generation, you may never come out of the situation you're in. But I'm telling you that in the situation you're in, you can find peace. And, and in the situation you're in, you can find hope. Because if you look a little further than your situation, and you look a little further, maybe even further than 70 years, you can see you have a God that is doing something greater than just taking you out of a, a situation that may last a week, it may last a month, it may last 10 years. But God is taking you and giving you a promise that is going to last into eternity. And that no matter what you suffer, no matter what you have gone through, through, no matter what people have done to you, you have a promise that says one day you're coming out of this. One day you're going to walk on streets of gold. One day you're going to enjoy my presence in the fullness. So what I want you to do in the meantime is to be blessed in the middle of it. Have children. Get married. Learn to find peace, hope, and joy right where you're at. Right where you're at. In the middle of the circumstance. What happened in the past may not be erased. You may always have to deal with the fact that daddy did what daddy did to you. You may have to deal with the fact that, you know what, mama did what she did, and you've seen things you shouldn't have seen, and people did things to you that they shouldn't have done. But right where you're at, in the middle of that, God has opened up a door and said, now is the moment, now is the time you can still find healing and come out of this thing. 
So what I'm here? I'm coming out of this thing. So what I've been abused? I'm coming out of this thing. So what I've lied and I cheated? I'm coming out of this thing. I'm changing my ways. I'm changing my life. And God is on my side helping me do it. Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying, give thanks, for this is the will of God Jesus. He doesn't say, give me a list of everything that's going on with your life, and, and I'll tell you if it's God's will. He doesn't even ask that. He says, guess what? Giving thanks is God's will. Forget about what's going on. Give some thanks, because there's a lot of things that have gone wrong. But, oh, my God, has a lot of things gone right. I mean, things have gone so right that God has given you an opportunity to hear his glorious gospel, and you may suffer for a little time. But guess what? Eventually, we're coming out of this thing. Eventually, you're coming out of this thing. The presence of pain does not negate a life of promise. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, he said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. Is there anything that sounds good about denying yourself and picking up your cross and following him? What is he saying? He's saying, listen, if you want to come after me, you're still going to have to fight against some things. You're still going to have to battle against the flesh. You're still going to have to pick up a heavy cross and follow me. But I promise you, if you follow me, I'll lead you to a good place. He says often in scripture, I'm preparing a place for you. But there's still the denial. There's still the carrying the cross. There's still the hardship. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. But every time we have trouble, we start saying, God, where are you? Like something is wrong is happening. He didn't say that he was going to bail you out of every bit of trouble. He says, I'll be in the trouble with you. He didn't take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire. He says, I'm climbing in with you. I'm climbing in with you. But we forget. We get angry with God as soon as we get a little fire around us. Even when we're not getting burnt. Well, it would have been better if the Lord just would have not put me in the fire. I know we parted the Red Sea, but couldn't we just go around the whole thing and not even worry about the parting? We'll always find something to complain about. Are you ready to step out of a victim mentality? Are you ready to say, I'm not a victim, I'm victorious? Blaming God will always put you in that place. It'll always mentally put you in a place of a victim mentality. Eventually, you got to get out of your issue, get out of your depression, get out of your mindset, and choose a new path. Accepting your past doesn't mean you're happy about it. It just means that you're ready for healing. It just means you're ready to say, you know what? And I'm not taking anything away from the hardships we've been through because some of you have been through a lot. But there comes a moment. I remember the moment where I said, now I am going all the way with the Lord and I'm going to come out of this mess had to make a decision, man. 
I'm going to swallow the, the, the hard pill of God's will. At the time, I was swallowing a lot of pills, so they weren't too hard to swallow. But this pill, <laughs> but this pill, <laughs> God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. My second point is God is a judo master. God is a judo master. For those of you that don't know what judo is, it's a form of martial arts, which I happen to be fluent in about seven different uh, art forms of martial arts. I'm completely lying. <laughs> <laughs> Martial arts. I can't even do a, I can't even do a tumble salt, you know. I'm about as flexible as this speaker right here. I mean, I don't go, I don't go anywhere, do anything. So, judo. The art of judo. How many people remember Steven Seagal? I think he's still, he's got the ponytail. He was big in the 80s and maybe the 90s, I don't know. But he, he does, he, he's always in those action movies. You know, he's a fighter. And he's actually a judo master. That's his, the art he uses. And if you've ever watched any of his movies, it doesn't really seem like he's doing anything when he's fighting everyone. It almost looks like everyone's beating themselves up. Did you ever watch that? Like, because the art of judo is taking, now this isn't the actual definition, this is, the Paul Burke definition. It's, it's, it's the energy that someone is using against you as, as opposition. You use it against them. So what that means is, come here, come here. Just throw, throw a, a punch. It's really slow, though. He's throwing a punch. There is energy coming towards me. What judo does is it takes it and pushes him that way. So his energy and his force, which is meant to come against me and, and meant to do damage to me, is actually I'm using with very little energy to use against him. That is what judo is. And you know God is like a judo master. God is able to take what was meant to kill you, which was meant to destroy you, which was meant to come against you and hurt you. He use that same energy, that same force, that same power. He cannot, he'll use it for your good. What do I mean? All right. For me, I was an addict for many years, addicted to drugs. God took my experience from drugs, my deliverance from drugs that were meant to kill me. He turned it around, and now this is what I do for a living. God that's a practical thing where God takes what the devil meant for harm. What was meant to destroy you and meant to kill you is now used for your good. We can look at Joseph, and we know that Joseph was thrown in jail. You remember that, right? He's thrown in a pit. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. And then he, he, he gets picked up as a slave, and he's a slave, and he works his way up to the top. And then he, he gets thrown into jail because Potiphar's wife lies on him and says, uh, trying to trying to touch her and do all this, and so so he gets thrown back in jail, and he and he comes up through that prison, he be, and, and he winds up being second in command, and then there's a famine, there's a famine, and his brothers, the same ones that threw him in a pit, the same ones that 14 years prior caused all of this trouble in their life, come to him, 
And because he's in a position to help them, it says he's the one where that song, the lyrics that we just sang, says, with the enemy meant for evil, God turned for not only his good, but for their good. Because when they came and they were in a famine and they needed food, Joseph, who was in the pit, and Joseph, who was in, was in the jail cell, obedient to God, followed the path that God had for him. He suffered. He had to be a prisoner. He had to be a slave. But when it came time for his family and the nation of Israel to get free, fed. Guess who was in the right position to do it? Joseph. So Joseph looked at the 14 years and he said, okay, I went through some trials. I went through some struggles, but God took what was meant to kill me and now I'm blessed and now everybody else is blessed. And God will do the same thing in your life. He'll take every bit of energy, every bit of force that the devil had against you, everything he did to try to kill you, and he will raise you up and he will use your life. You'll be blessed. Your family will be blessed. Your friends will be blessed. People that are blessed will know that you're blessed. You'll just be blessed. But you may have to go through 14 years of jail to get there. We don't want that part. We don't, we don't even want to go through 30 days on a discipline and teen challenge to get there. You know what I'm saying? I'm suffering Pastor Paul, please don't take my snack time away. I'm going to leave the program and the will of God because you have persecuted me. God's promise promises to make something good out of the storms that brought devastation to your life. And it never takes away from your hurt. It doesn't take away from the things that have happened to you. I understand that there's abuse. And I understand that um, many of us in this room have been affected by not only our own choices and behavior, but the behavior and choices of other people. And I don't ever make that light. And I'm not just saying, oh, you just got to suck it up and, you know, forget about it. You got to deal with it. And you got to find your healing. But what I am saying is that the healing is always available. The healing is available. And there are people that are put in a predicament to find their healing. They're put in a predicament to succeed, and yet they turn away, and they don't, they don't receive the help that God is offering to them, and then they blame God or they blame everybody else. And it's not that God didn't try to bring healing. It's not that God didn't try to, uh, to, to help, but we often turn it away because we're bitter because we're resentful, and because we're hurt. And it's okay to be hurt. It's not a sin to be angry. What you do with it is what matters. You know, the third point, and if the worship team can come up, and, and I'm closing with this, is that I want to close with, is don't waste your brokenness. Don't waste your brokenness. You know, I remember I was 22 years old, and I walked onto a park in Florida. I grew up on Long Island, New York. The day after my 22nd birthday, I flew to Florida to get my life together. I hit some hard times. I wasn't, wasn't uh, living right, um, and I called my family. They had moved four years prior to Florida. I was still in New York. I was just turned 22. 
Called mom. Yes, I called mom. I said, Mom, I got to get out of here. I got to change my life. And I, w- I flew to Florida, and the very next day I went to a uh, uh, service in a park. A man by the name of Bill Wilson, he just passed away last month, and I had the opportunity to actually do his funeral. But I met this man in a park, um, and I went up for the altar call at the end of the service, and he prayed for me, and he spoke a word, you know, prophetic word over my life. And I believe I was, I was saved in that park that day, and God touched me in a special way went on over the next few months, and I decided that I always wanted to be a police officer at the time, so I went to the police academy. I finished top of my class. I was going to be a police officer in Florida. I went, uh, and I I was going to this man's church, and he wanted to uh, start a church in San Diego, California, and he said, Paul, you know, I see really great things for you in your life and this and that, and, and I'm going to San Diego to start a church, and I know that you're doing this police thing, and this is what you know, where, where you think your future's going, but, you know, I, I want to open the invitation for you to come with me. And I flew, I went there, I picked up, and, you know, I had to make a hard decision if I was going to walk away from uh, the, uh, you know, the my application process to become a uh, sheriff's deputy. So uh, I went to California, and uh, we started a church, and it really didn't. It really didn't go well. I just, you know, was helping in the background, setting up all the sound equipment, and you know, doing the little things to help him start a church because I, I believed in him. He believed in me. Uh, once again, like I said, I, I met him in a park and gave my heart to the Lord. My life began to change. You know, and not even two years later, probably a year and a half later, he says, "Listen, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to Florida. It's just not taking off the way." I'm running out of money, and it's just not going to work. You know, when I was a little bitter, man, I was upset. I gave up what um, what I was doing and uh, wanted to help out. And I wasn't mad necessarily that it wasn't, wor- it wasn't taking off as fast as I thought. I was kind of upset and hurt that we didn't take more time to see if it was going to work because I feel like I just moved my whole life and my whole family out here. So I moved back to Florida. And I was hurt, and I was bitter, and I was angry. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of resentment in my heart towards the way things worked out. You know, I had uh, I'd gotten married while I was out there, actually, and came back, and then that didn't work out some short time later. So I was left there, uh, gave up the, 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 the opportunity to be a police officer. My certification ran out. I'd have to go through it all again. And I was angry and uh, just resentful at the Lord and how he allowed these things in my life to work out. And I started compromising. First thing I did is I went, uh, I stopped going to church. And I just says, I'm not going to do this, man. Why would I pick up and go and give up a police career and go do this for the Lord? And it didn't work out. And I was hurt and confused. I was young. I was in my 20s still. And uh, I left the church. And I started to backslide. And um, that backsliding took me to the darkest places I'd, I'd ever imagined I'd ever be. And I wound up being addicted to methamphetamines, crystal meth. I was shooting up. Um, you know, my arms had track marks, and my life was disgusting. It was disgusting. I went from thinking I was going to either be a, a minister or a cop, and now I was just the bottom. 
no place to live. I would disappear for six months at a time. Nobody would know where I was. My family wouldn't even know if I was alive. I was just gone, living way below the level that God had for me. And uh, I came back up to New York and uh, struggled. And uh, I reunited with my father that had left when we were five years old, and I never really had any relationship with him. So I, we just reunited and started to build a relationship, really for the first time in my life, and I was 25, 26. Uh, and uh, I found out right after that that he was had cancer, and they said that he had, you know, six months or a year to live or whatever it was out of nowhere. And it was hard for me to understand, you know, God, you just brought me back up here. I just got to know my dad, and now he's sick. And I didn't understand that, and I was just angry. And uh, I continued to drink and to use until, once again, my life was unmanageable. And uh, through, through a couple different events, someone put a, a brochure in my uncle's hand about Teen Challenge. I came to Teen Challenge, and I was embarrassed. I was so shameful because I knew better. I was like, man, I knew the Lord. And how did I go from thinking I was going to be a cop or a pastor, and now I'm just a raging drug addict who family won't have nothing to do with, unemployable, I have a record. All these things is like my life is like in the dump. And uh, I went into Teen Challenge, and... Uh, I remember I was there six days, and we went on a, a retreat, and I was walking around, and we just got there, and I got noticed that the executive director wanted to see me, and I went to see him, and he told me, listen, your dad just passed away. Uh, your father, I was only in the program six days, still the taste of alcohol, drugs, still in my body, still everything. Six days. You guys know you, you've been using for six, seven years, and then you got six days clean is really nothing. And I was just like, what am I going to do? My dad died. He's like, your family's coming up here tomorrow. They're coming to pick you up. You got to clean out his house and make the arrangements for his funeral and whatnot. And I walked around the park that day, and I was so hurt and so broken and so confused. I'm like, man, my life is destroyed. I come into a program to get clean. My dad dies. I'm like, they're coming to pick me up. Like, do I stay? Do I go? You know, I, I didn't know what to do. I was, like, emotionally, like, lost. And I remember I was walking around that park, and... Once again, I heard the Lord's voice, and he said, if you'll give me this pain, I'll bless your life. And for some reason, it was clear as day to me that if I gave him the pain as an offering, and I said, Lord, everybody in this place, including myself, expects that I'm going to get picked up by my family, and I'm just going to go out, and I'm going to leave, and I'm not going to come back. But what if I don't do that? What if I give you my life? What if I do what nobody expects me to do and really see this thing through. And I heard that day in my heart, once again, it, might, it should have been, it might as well have been audible. I heard, I'll bless your life, give me this pain. And I took that brokenness and I gave it to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I don't, I, I don't know what I'm going to do and how I'm going to make any sense of this. But I'm going to give you my brokenness. You know, there's something special about those moments in your life where you're hurting. They're precious. Those moments of brokenness that you're hurting enough to call upon the Lord are some of the most 
powerful times where you'll hear God's voice clearer than ever before. And, you know, I know all of us here come from different places, and there's many of you that have hurts that still aren't healed. Some of you have been carrying these things for 10 and 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Some of you up until this point, maybe you didn't even know that you had resentment or bitterness towards God until this very moment. But you say, I've been questioning God's will and fighting with him this whole time. And I want to tell you today and encourage you today, don't waste your brokenness. Because it's a precious offering to him if you'll give it to him. So why don't we stand for a moment here. And I want to give an opportunity to you. If there are some things that are going on in your life and in your heart, you say, you know what? I've been holding on to some, some hurt and some bitterness and resentment. Maybe I, know, I knew about it. Maybe God just revealed it to me tonight. And I have to let some things go. Not that God needs forgiveness for anything, because he doesn't. That would be theologically incorrect. But you have to come to him with that let it go posture of your heart. Where, Lord, whatever happened in the past, I don't understand and I don't have to understand. But I want healing and I want to move forward from here. Whatever that looks like. If that's you today... I just want you to come up because we want to pray for you. I want to believe God for you. Don't waste your brokenness. These are precious moments in the sight of the Lord.